All right, you got your camera? You got a bag? You ready to go? Jump on in. We're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Today is the end of October. We're already staring down November. I hope everyone got some amazing fall foliage photos and enjoyed their travels. But tonight it's time to move on to where you can go photograph in November and December. So as a landscape photographer, we've got some bare trees, you've got your winter scenics, and we'll cover some of those destinations on another episode. But tonight, I want to talk about London. I went to London last year in December, and I thoroughly enjoyed this city. It's an incredible place to photograph, full of photography opportunities. You've got architecture, you've got water, you've got bridges, you've got sparkling Christmas lights, a really active street photography scene. Take the public transportation, and again, so much to photograph. So let's jump in. I'm going to give you some tips and my perspective on photographing the city. And then I've got a special guest, Sheila Stone, who leads tours to London. She spends a lot of her time in London throughout the year and various types of theme tours. And she actually has a tour coming up in November, December, that's priced right. So a wonderful opportunity to get over to London if you've never been with someone that knows the city extremely well. So I'm gonna share with you some of my favorite places to photograph. I would put Big Ben on your list. It's the tall iconic clock tower and I would spend time along the bridge so you can get views of the river and then you've got the iconic Big Ben structure. I would time this for late afternoon, early evening. And if you use the website Sunrise Sunset, I'll have this in the show notes, it will give you the exact time of day of sunset for any any particular time. But if I'm talking about November, December, so you can take advantage of the Christmas lights and the Christmas markets and the wonderful, everything that's going on in London, sunset is approximately 3.54 p.m. until the end of December, four o'clock p.m. So that's pretty early as if you're thinking about it in the afternoon. So you want to be over there. You may want to scope the area out before the sun actually goes down. You'll see the lights come up and reflect in the Thames River. And then you'll get, you can do long exposures to get really soft water and the moving lights of traffic coming across the bridge. Um, to me, that's the best time, maybe between four o'clock, 3.30, so you can kind of get set up till maybe about the latest six o'clock, so you get that intense blue of the sky. You don't always see that with your naked eye, but the camera picks up that intense blue, which happens right after sunset. Another place I would recommend, including on my favorite list to photograph in London, is the Tower Bridge another postcard picture place. It's historic. You can take tours inside the Tower Bridge. 
You'll see the Tower Bridge um, featured extensively in many movies, including Sherlock Holmes and some of them, the others. You can actually take an elevator up into the bridge. They have now a glass acrylic floor that gives you some incredible views over the city. So buy your tickets early. You can also, if you want to photograph from the banks of the Thames River, the bridge actually opening to allow boats through, you want to know the times that that lift bridge is going to open. And they do have scheduled lift times already listed on their website. I was on the website today. So I'll have that exact website on my show notes. So the Tower Bridge, I would highly recommend including that. They also note that even with the price of your ticket, they can't guarantee what time you'll get to be up on the bridge itself, out onto the walkways, the best places to take photos. But when I visited London last year, I went late in the afternoon. They're only open till five o'clock. So maybe you wanna time it to be there about 3.30ish. And this way, the sky is starting to turn color as the sun is starting to set. And if you're lucky and you've got clear weather, it's not raining. London is known for a lot of rain. You will get some beautiful skies and some incredible city images up there from Tower Bridge. My next favorite place I would list would be St. Paul's Cathedral paired with the Millennium Bridge. The Millennium Bridge is one of the newest bridges, most modern bridges across the Thames River. It's glass, it's metal, it makes an incredible leading line and framed at the other end is St. Paul's Cathedral. During the busy holiday season, you may have a lot of foot traffic and people going across the bridge, but if you set up at one end with a long exposure, Oftentimes those long exposures, the people, even though they're moving through their your image are kind of blurred. They don't even become static images to block your photo. But another great place to be any time of day, sunset again here, it would be another fabulous place. So you've already got three great places, maybe four. So you may wanna plan on spending a week in London. And I'm telling you, I checked airfare today. There's some great prices. Um, I live in Los Angeles, so I just popped in LA direct to London. I was seeing round trip flights for $600, $650, and sometimes less depending on your date. So this may be the year if you've not been to London or you want to go back and do some photography. Another one of my favorite locations would be any of the Christmas markets. There are several, if you visit the website London Town and Time Out, they actually start some of their lighting uh, festivities as early as November 7th. And they're kind of staggered. There's one November 7th, the lights go on November 9th on Carnaby Street. And when they do these lightings, the main event, they sometimes have a celebrity turn on the lights, they have some live music. They, have, they make a real event out of this. So if you want to be there for one of those nights, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of excitement, but some great opportunities for street photography. Or just plan to come anytime November and December. The lights will be on until probably the first week of January. But I just had such a great time visiting Carnaby Street, uh, Oxford Street, Regent Street. There's Christmas at Kew Gardens. There's a bit of a pr- admission price to get into the one at Kew Gardens. 
So you may want to think about that. But any of the other streets, the shopping streets like uh, Carnaby Street, for example, you've got lights draped across the street. You've got floating angels. You've got snowflakes made out of lights. I mean, the whole place is just lit up with lots of activity and lights and colors and shoppers and Wow. I mean, your camera and you are just going to be going crazy. So lots of stuff going on. For photography gear for a street outing, I would go compact. Remember, the more small your camera is, the more compact it is, even your cell phone, you're going to be able to capture a lot of the excitement and action and things happening around you without being as noticeable. Plus the crowds, the crowds just walking down these streets at times, you're shoulder to shoulder at rush hour. So I highly advise using public transportation as anyone would that's visiting London. The tube, you may want to avoid using the tube during rush hour, early mornings. Um, on the tube website, I do notice they suggest, you know, don't get on the tube till about 9.30 in the morning after the morning rush or maybe go for a walk. Those are times to look at their site. They actually have a really detailed list of areas that it's more accessible just to walk if the weather's nice and, and you wanna just get out and walk and see some of the sites yourself. All right, so these are some of the things I would recommend taking on your trip to London. Pack light, you're gonna be using uh, public transportation. So the less items you have to struggle with getting on the tube, uh, carrying up to your room. Um, not every hotel has elevators and the elevators can be quite small. And again, with lots of people on the tube, if you've got a huge suitcase, it may be a struggle. So take a backpack, put your camera in your backpack and take a small rolling bag and you'll be great for the entire week. Um, I would definitely plan a week in London. Take a compact camera if you can. If you need to bring your digital SLR, something a little larger, take one lens. I would really slim it down. Your best options with street photography though are always smaller is better. This may be an instance where you may wanna consider if you don't already own one, a mirrorless camera. There's a lot of great mirrorless cameras out available. The other thing you may want to consider is because there are often a lot of rainy days in London, if your camera is not waterproof, digital cameras and water are not a good mix. So you may want to either pick up an inexpensive uh, point and shoot digital camera. I saw many good options, Olympus, Canon, Fujifilm, they all have some highly rated waterproof cameras that run less than $500 or go online and rent one. Take an umbrella. If you don't wanna struggle with carrying an umbrella and balancing your camera, make sure you've got a good raincoat with a good hood or a good rain cap to keep yourself dry. Uh, when I went to London last year, I got very lucky on the weather, but there were a few nights where all of a sudden the sky let open, whoosh, and the rain just started. Also, a good pair of walking shoes or boots. You'll be doing a lot of time on your feet and you wanna have good shoes or walking boots, whatever's most comfortable for you, and some good socks, you know, layers. It can be quite chilly in London if you're an LA or California girl like I am. It can be quite a shock to your system. So wear some layers, 
as I mentioned, the sun goes down by four o'clock and after that, the temperature is going to keep dropping. So be prepared. So I, I don't want to take up any more time. We've got a great guest today with Sheila Stone, who has a lot of information of, about London. And in fact, I consulted her last year before I went to the city. So let's welcome Sheila Stone. And thanks again for joining me on Eyes for the Road. Sheila, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about uh, your passion for London and how that kind of started and how many, how often you've been to London. Well, I became a really big Anglophile. Um, oh, I don't know, about 10 or 15 years ago. It's not something I really grew up with, and mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what triggered it, but um I started watching British television, I started reading British books, and um, kind of fell in love with the whole thing on my first trip, um, and that was in 2003. Oh, wow. So it's been yes. quite, quite a while ago. So, it has. So for first-timers going to London, do you have some tips? Because um, for myself, I know it was just kind of overwhelming. It's an exciting city to visit. There's so much to see. Um, I, I honestly didn't even know where to start. <laughs> well, it is overwhelming. It was overwhelming to me because when I lived in Britain, I lived up in the north. And um, even then, when I was used to being in Britain and used to living there, when I went to London, it still was overwhelming. Um, so it really is helpful to do a little bit of research, decide what you're interested in, um, figure out a good place to stay, and then um, realize that you won't see it all. That's really important to know you're not going to see it all. Don't make yourself crazy trying. Always figure you can come back at another time. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Um... London, to me, right now is priced really affordable. I did uh, just look at flights from uh, Los Angeles, for example, to London at the end of November, early December. I mean, it's under $650 direct. You know, that's just an incredible price right now. So it really is. Yeah. So another thing is that um, Brexit, because of Brexit, um, the the pound is down, so you'll get more for your money. It's not a cheap place, but you will get a much better deal now than, say, you know, a, even a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So you've got an incredible trip planned for Christmas time in London, which is when I, that was my first time I went and very much enjoyed it. So tell us about your Christmas trip that's coming up. Well, the Christmas trip, I'm really excited about it because we're going to do so many cool things. And being in London, it's not over Christmas, so you can still be with your family at Christmas. It's going to be right at the beginning of December. Um, so the prices are lower, but all the Christmas lights are up. Um, all of the museums that have Christmas exhibits, those are all going to be going. Um, they'll be shopping. Uh, the Christmas markets are up. Um, and there are several in London. Um, we're going to go to a panto. Oh, tell us about a panto. A uh, panto is fabulous. It is a British tradition, um, and it's a little hard to describe, but it's just um, like a, it's a play. 
there's music, usually there are children. Um, it can be very sharp, you know, very shiny and, and, you know, big name stars and the mm-hmm. whole thing. Or it can be a village. Villages put on pantos. Um, it's usually a nursery story, like Hansel and Gretel or Cinderella or Latin. Um, the, the main character is the dame, and the dame is played by a man. Uh, the heroine is a girl, but the hero is also always played by a girl. Um, and it's just lots of audience participation, lots of silliness, um, and it's just great, great fun. Yeah, it sounds really unique, something I've never experienced. <laughs> we don't really have anything comparable here in the States. Um, because you think pantomime, uh, a pantomime would be here, you would think, oh, well, there's no no speaking. But that isn't the case. Uh, it's closer to a melodrama. You know, the acting mm-hmm. is overdone and you yell, he's behind you, and things <laughs> like that. It's It's just so much fun. Oh my gosh. So how many people do you usually take on your tours? Well, I limit them to 10 because if you've only got 10 people, you can do more. You can see things. You're not trying to herd a huge group of people. Everybody will have time to, on their own, to, you know, go shopping or to check out something that they particularly find interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, I like to keep the numbers small. Yeah, that's smart. So what are some of the highlights besides the Christmas markets that you plan to include on the trip? Well, we're going to go to Kew Gardens. Ooh. And Kew Gardens has a special thing in the evenings. Um, at Only at Christmas time, you have to have a special ticket to get in. And the thing in the evening is um, there's over a million like little twinkly lights uh-huh. and you can get mold wine and you can walk through and all of the lights are on and um, they, they really do it up right for Christmas in at Kew Gardens and Kew Gardens is just amazing any time of year, but this is especially fantastic. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. So if people want to sign up for your upcoming Christmas trip, they can visit your website, which is com. And you've also got a book. So tell us about your book. So um, when I first went to London, and like I said, I'd already lived, I'd already spent um, over a year living in Britain, um, but I was living up north, and I found London overwhelming. There was just so much you had to decide what part of London to live in and not live in, but to to stay in when you're visiting and you have to decide, you know, how to get around and what do you want to see? And I thought, Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it really was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, and I decided to write this book for people, particularly for people who were there for the first time, or maybe not spent much time there. And it's a way for them to, I, I don't give them myriad of options. Right. They stay in Earl's Court. That's, <laughs> and here's why. And I explain why. Um, and also how to get around. You know, this is how you take the tube. Uh, this is how you get to Earl's Court from Heathrow Airport. Um, 
this is a good way to spend the day where you're not going back and forth. The tube is amazing. Right. But yes. you don't want to have, you know, start out on one side of the city and go to the other side of the city, you know, in the middle of the day and then go back to the first side. And you want to have things sort of grouped together. Right. So it's got some strategies there. It's um, It really is a London primer. That's why it's called How to London. Yeah, and it's perfect because you could put it, you can download it to your um, iPhone or you know, phone or any mobile device. It's, it seems like a perfect companion if you're planning a trip to London. Absolutely. It explains the currency. It, um, it really is a very basic London book because you can find all sorts. You can find, if, the problem with London is you, there isn't, it's not a case of there not being enough information. The case is it's too much information. And sometimes you just want someone to go, okay, this is, this is a good way to do it. Right, and, and where to start. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where to start. <laughs> yeah, you go into the bookstore, there just seems to be so many books on, on just London, just that one city. I mean. Well, it's an amazing city. It's been, it was founded by the Romans. It's been continuously inhabited for over 2,000 years. Yeah, so, it's just... You know, there's a reason why it's just history on top of history on top of history. And the current uh, culture is really exciting and vibrant as well. So your problem isn't going to be that you won't find anything that you want to do. Right. <laughs> Agreed. So you have the Christmas trip coming up, and then you also have um, other trips to London throughout the year as I well. Do. So tell us um, a bit about some of the other trips. Okay. Well, in March, there is a Frugal and Fun London and Liverpool trip. So if you're a Beatles fan and you always want to go to Liverpool, this is the trip for you. Um, we'll spend, uh, it's a week long, and mm -hmm. well, uh, a little over a week. It's about 10 days. Um, and we'll spend a week in London, and then we'll spend a couple of days in Liverpool. Oh, wow. And we have a wonderful local taxi driver who drives us around Liverpool. He's an absolute scouser. Um, but it's okay, I'm bilingual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's just a charmer, and he really knows his stuff, and he's a lot of fun. So it's a really fun tour, and uh, the price is very reasonable because it's frugal and fun. Sounds great. And then do you have a spring trip as well, or that is the spring trip? That is the spring trip to London, but then I've also got another one um, in March again to Edinburgh and Glasgow, which is the same kind of thing. It's a frugal and fun trip so that the price is kept very low. And, um, you know, again, the trips are only 10 people or less. So it's a really good way to get some personalized attention on a tour without paying a fortune. Right, exactly. So do you have any packing tips for, you know, the airlines and everything, it's gotten so crazy on what you can take on and what to pack and... Oh, know. absolutely. It's, it's nuts. Um, the first packing tip I would give to anybody is get some packing cubes. Um, Eagle Creek makes them, but a whole bunch of other people do too. Now, it used to be it was just Eagle Creek, but you can find, I even found some at Ikea. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah, it was great. I, I don't know if they, that's something they carry all the time, but you can find them in a lot of places, and it just makes keeping track of your stuff so much easier. And the thing is, don't take too much. Take less than you think you're going to need. Uh, go with a basic color palette. You don't have to wear black. Um, just wear colors that you feel comfortable with. And if it's something you don't want to wear at home, you're not going to want to wear it when you're traveling. Yeah. Yeah, layer. Uh, scarves are great. They can change what you're wearing. You can make it look completely different. Um, yeah, it's just, but, but definitely pack light because the problem is you don't want to be trying to keep track of a bunch of stuff and you can lose things and it's just easier if you don't have that much. Right, exactly. And especially in a city like London where it's so much easier just to use the public transportation. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're going to be traveling around, no matter where you are, uh, you don't want to have a whole bunch of bags. It's, it's unwieldy. It's uncomfortable. Um, it just makes for a much more fun trip if you don't have all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what kinds of places will you be staying at in London, the lodgings? Um, I am really big. I, I love Earl's Court. It's my favorite place to stay. And I'm really big on staying at family-run hotels. Um, they are, they're not fancy, but almost everybody, um, almost all hotels, no matter how old they are, have uh, bathrooms in the room. So you, it's not like you're going to have to go running down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're clean and they're safe. And, you know, it, why do you need fancy? You're not going to be there except to sleep anyway. Right. Yeah, that's so true. I think people sometimes don't remember that, that you're so tired by the time you get back to your bed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just need a clean bed and a, and a, and a bathroom and you're good. I mean. And you're good to go. And um, another thing to remember is that you, it's really nice when you travel to keep the money in the community. Um, if you stay at a Marriott or a Hilton or something like that, that money goes to an international corporation. It doesn't help the community you stay in. Mm-hmm. Even though London is a rich city, the people who live and work there are not necessarily rich. So, yes, if you went to a third world country, you would want to keep the money in the community. But you still you want to do that in London, too, because the people who own those small hotels they're hard workers, and they can be struggling. So I like the idea of doing that. It makes you feel good about your travel. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. And a lot of times they'll go out of their way if you have, you know, if you are not with a group to help you make suggestions, or they have time for that. They're not so busy and, as you said, corporate to not want to extend some additional tips. I stayed at a place last year, and, um, you know, it was a, a, not a fancy hotel. It was, it was family-owned, and the people there were so nice. Just, you know, pretty soon they were greeting us when we, you know, every time we'd come in, they'd go, oh, hello, so nice to see you. And, you know, it, it, it was really a nice feeling. To, to stay with these people. It was almost like staying in their home, except you had your own room. Right. Oh, yeah, that's really wonderful. Are there certain t- 
types of foods that are, you know, because sometimes I think London, we just think it doesn't really have, I think it's got that idea that it's just meat and potatoes. and. That's oh, gosh. You can get anything in London, even in Earl's Court. My favorite Thai restaurant is there. Um, there's wonderful, oh, probably several wonderful Indian restaurants. You can get pub food. You can even get burgers. Um, there are a couple of, you know, more of the gourmet burger places. There is a wonderful place called Pret-a-Manger, which you can get ready-made food, wonderful soups, sandwiches. Um, and there is now a French boulangerie there as well. Oh, nice. That sounds really good. Oh, believe me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have sampled it, yes. You know, it was research. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So there's a lot of museums. Um, I mean, London's full of them. Do you have a couple of favorites that you'd share with us? Absolutely. Um, the wonderful thing about national museums in Britain is they're free. Um, so you go to the British Museum, it's free. You go to the, the National Gallery, is free, the National Portrait Gallery. My favorite is the Victoria and Albert Museum which is the Victoria and Albert Museum of Craft and Design. Hmm. So there are, I mean, there's sculpture, there are um, not so much paintings. There's a jewelry room to die for. Oh, my gosh. They have um, wrought iron. They have costumes, not meaning theatrical costumes, but meaning clothing from, you know, the 1700s, 1800s. it's just, it runs the gamut. It's also got a wonderful cafe, and in the cafe, it's um, William Morris tiles and William Morris wallpaper. Um, it's just a fabulous museum. My other favorite is a museum called the Jeffrey Museum of the Home, mm. and it has 11 rooms, all decorated with authentic um, furniture from a period of over 400 years, um, and each room is done up like a middle-class family would have lived. It would be like their their living room or their drawing room or whatever the word was for the main room of the house because right. it would change over the centuries. Um, and they, they are done up with authentic furniture, and it's just a delight, an absolute delight. Yeah, that sounds fascinating, because often, you know, we get to see, like, how the rich people live, but not... (laughs) Yes, absolutely, and that's what I love about this. It's not the Regency, you know, everything covered with gilt um, furniture. It's more like regular people lived, And, um, and it goes from the 1600s to the end of the century, the last century. Yeah, that sounds... And so most of the museums in London are free, you said? Um, All of the national museums are free in the whole country. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, And they have wonderful, wonderful museums, you know, world-class. You go to the National Gallery, and you don't have to be an art major to see a lot of pictures you recognize. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what are some other things you would recommend to someone that's thinking about going to London that's never been? Um, One of my favorite places to eat 
is at the, there is a crypt underneath the St. Martin's in the Fields Church, and that's right across from Trafalgar Square. So Trafalgar Square is a main place to go. It's got the National Gallery. It's got the National Portrait Gallery. Across the street is a church that looks a little bit like like a New England church, you know, with the steeple mm-hmm. and the whole thing. And underneath that church is a cafe. They turned the crypt into a cafe. Oh, my God. The prices are very reasonable. The food is very good. And it's just kind of cool to be sitting there in this beautifully lit cafe that is actually in a crypt. Right. I believe they moved the bodies. <laughs> and, you know, right. But it is underneath the church. And um, during weekdays and possibly on the weekends as well, uh, they have pre-concerts at the church. So you can have your lunch, go upstairs, and listen to some wonderful live music. Oh, wow. The thing. Yeah. Well, some really great tips on visiting London for anyone who hasn't been. And I love the idea of your Christmas trip that's coming up. So if anyone's interested in the Christmas trip, was there anything else you wanted to share about the trip that we didn't cover? Um, well, just one thing. When we do these trips, we travel on the public transportation. So we learn to use the tube, which is a lot of fun, and it's easy. So you're really traveling more like a Londoner would travel around their city. Um, And you get, you know, a lot of the thing is people go, well, I want to see a lot of stuff. The (laughs) thing is, when you're traveling like that, it's wonderful to not travel in a breakneck speed and to be able to relax and just be where you're at. Right. Right. I think that's important. Yeah. (laughs) No, I like it. And I like the idea of, you know, taking the tube and the public transportation and, as you said, kind of immerse yourself in just being in the place, not being kind of isolated in a little bubble, so to speak. So Right. You know, that's the culture you came to see. So be a part of it. You know, get into it. Get lost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us where we can contact you, Sheila, if we've got questions or want to sign up for your trip or think of anything else to ask you. Absolutely. Okay, I can be reached at Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A, at B-Y-W Tours, that's Britain Your Way Tours, dot com. Um, so please feel free to drop me an email. Uh, another thing is you can text or call me at 310-945-8033. And I, I hope to hear from some of your listeners. It would be absolutely fantastic. I'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Perfect. Yeah, and we'll also include all of those in the show notes. So thanks again, Sheila, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thank you, April. I really appreciate being asked to come on and to talk about one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) All right. We'll be in touch soon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So that was some good information from Sheila Stone. I'll have her email address again in the show notes, along with all of the tips I gave you on some of my favorite places to photograph, some of the point-and-shoot cameras, and much more. So thanks again for joining me on Eyes for the Road. And if you haven't been over to iTunes to leave some feedback or any of the other sites, I'd really love some feedback. It's always nice to hear from everyone. If you've got questions or suggestions on places you'd like to hear more about or 
questions on upcoming places you're traveling to, please drop me an email at april at aprilart.com and check out my upcoming trips. Uh, you can see those on fallphototrips.com. So thanks again for joining me and hope you get out and get some great photos. Take care.